Hey, welcome to another episode of uh, Progressive Outlook. Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, follow, like, subscribe, whatever you do to keep updated with your podcast. Go for it. But it's been a crazy week. Texas is seeing its worst winter in decades and needs support. Congress people have stepped up to the plate while others panicked and fled the state. Also, mayors, governors, and other politicians and powers have been in controversy this week. And some updates from the House of Representatives and White House from the Hill. So let's get at it. What a difference a few months have been for New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. His public persona has now taken a 180 degree turn to being villainized and shady. Before that, he was just idolized and lionized and praised upon. Previously, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo was praised for his strong stance that was opposite of the occupier of the White House, Trump's confusing and handling approach to COVID-19. He was was believing the facts of the scientists. He was telling people to mask up. He was putting the city in lockdown. They had a lot of numbers of uh, reported deaths and he was trying his best to keep it down but now his administration is under investigation of criminal activity by the justice department regarding his approach to the health crisis specifically the number of nursing home deaths that were being underreported so initially his administration they released data only on the number of nursing home residents who died from the coronavirus while in the homes and lawmakers are seeking the data that show the number of residents who died in hospitals because they weren't getting that. So basically, comments about withholding data, uh, they were made public by the secretary to the governor, Melissa DeRosa, in a private Zoom call with uh, lawmakers from after the Justice Department investigated and actually started to find out that those numbers of people who died in their homes weren't coming out. So the true number of the state's nursing home deaths are in the 13,000 versus the 8,700 that was originally reported. So the death count reaches around 15,000 when other facilities are included as well. So, yeah, the New York governor is uh, now seeing a lot of stuff about this. People are calling for his impeachment. Yes, he's being investigated as well. But uh, you know what? Andrew Cuomo, he didn't stop. He decided to add more fuel to this fire. And Assemblyman Ron Kilm of Queens, he helped break the story about the nursing home deaths. He's been a strong critic of the governor. And the governor actually gave him a call recently. So here's a few excerpts of Ron Kilm recounting his uh, phone call with Governor Andrew Cuomo. It was um, maybe an hour after the news broke about his top aide uh, in a private meeting admitting that um, that they uh, hid information from the Department of Justice being feared that it could be used for political reasons against uh, the governor. And it spent about 10 minutes, which seemed like an eternity, seemed like an hour, um, just berating me and um, letting me know that he can do, you know, I haven't seen his anger. I haven't uh, seen his ability to uh, pretty much destroy my political career. And he scared the hell out of my wife. Um, and she was traumatized for a couple of hours and she didn't sleep that night. And I had my family, my girls were there. 
a number of people have reached out to me as well privately online, just letting me know that they've had similar experiences. Um, even his staff now has privately talked to um, some of the elected officials, letting them know that you know that definitely happens all the time, and they they feel so good that someone finally spoke up. And first, the call was to do damage control regarding the news that came out about the underreported deaths and just putting out a statement saying something along the lines that uh, that was being investigated first internally on their end. And then to quote Kiln, the call went medieval with uh, the governor telling them that you'll be destroyed and you have not seen my wrath. I've been biting my tongue for months. I mean, he was like threatening, like destroy this guy's career and everything. The dude's wife heard about it and she panicked. And Kilm said that his family hasn't been getting a good night's sleep since. She couldn't sleep at all that night. And basically, now with that threat that went down, they're trying to investigate. um, The assembly actually sent out a letter to the rest of their colleagues just accusing Cuomo of obstructing justice in violation of the federal criminals court. And they're trying to strip uh, Governor Cuomo of the emergency powers he was granted last year at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, people are calling for an impeachment, too. And this is both for Republicans and Democrats, where people are seeing that this guy is just way over his head and just getting, like I said earlier, shady with all this stuff and now villainizing that not just is he underreporting things he's threatening uh other people as well and now it's just getting ridiculously nuts so yeah governor cuomo is having one heck of a week now the news in my backyard regarding mayor lightfoot of chicago uh, some news came down about the departmental breakdown regarding the covid relief uh, federal funds that came in it was uh, 403 million discretionary funds and more than 200 million went to the Chicago Police Department. So comparatively, the Department of Public Health received just over 18 million. The offices of emergency management received just over 8 million. The Department of Family and Support Services got less than $200,000 and the Office for People with Disabilities got only $2,000. And on top of that, there's $65 million unspent just floating around. And this is coming from a mayor that's trying to open up public schools, get teachers back in the schools, get the students back in there, but isn't doing anything to safeguard these schools and making sure everything is sanitized and safe for everybody working there. She is not doing anything regarding that. Now, yes, the police department could use a budget from there, but $280 million is actually so much that it's inflating their wallets. Now, what were the cops doing? What did it specify for their coronavirus uh, precautions? What were they doing regarding that? Uh, Wellness checks on residents, airport security when travelers uh, had to be screened for COVID-19, security at the McCormick Place, a coronavirus field hospital it became, and security at other virus testing sites where that was $280 million in comparison to other departments that would need it, like Department of Public Health getting only $18 million. So she's being scrutinized about that, but Lori Lightfoot, just being Lori Lightfoot, uh, just defended it. Just along the lines of only saying that, uh, yeah, they've accepted federal government money instead of taxpayers' money. 
and this like this incurs would have uh, this expense would have gone down if it was taxpayer money anyway. And just basically not even addressing the fact that it was unevenly managed to all the different departments. Just the fact that she accepted money from the government, which people weren't mad about. It was just about where it was going. Chicago mayors, uh, they don't really get it right. Rahm Emanuel, he was pretty trashy. He tried to cover up Laquan McDonald's murder. Him and uh, McCarthy, the superintendent we had. And now uh, he was a commissioner. And then we have Lloyd Lightfoot here, who's just, you know, outside of the city, a lot of people just look at her and just, hey, the galvanizer, such as Andrew Cuomo. But people in the city, yeah, not so crazy about Lori Lightfoot. And the other news about her, she has 100,000% confidence in Chicago Police Superintendent David Brown. After a scathing watchdog report, regarding the George Floyd protests and the riots over the summer. So while that they knew that something could have happened, uh, there was unrest in the city, they chose not really to do anything or prepare for it. Also, when they actually locked the low protesters who were marching in downtown, they put out a curfew, which was like at 6 a.m., but they opened up, they closed the bridges so people couldn't go back home. And keep in mind, the uh, alert about the curfew was like a half hour before it was enacted. So no one really had any time to actually drop what they were doing. Uh, as, as well as the police that were just kind of all over the place, not really doing anything. Let's keep in mind, there were cops that broke into Bobby Rush's office, a representative, and slapped, they slept over there in his office, made popcorn, drank coffee, sat around while nothing happened. So Lightfoot... She's always in these cops' pockets. The, the thing is, she ran on a ticket promising that she'll reform the police department. The Chicago police have a strong reputation of abuse, just like the New York police department does. But basically, what she's portrayed and shown is that, yeah, like politicians, she just lied about it, you know, just to get in office. And she's doing a terrible job in office. I think the only saving grace is closing down the city. Uh, for those few months during COVID-19, but that's actually pressure from the governor because she sure as hell didn't want to do that as well. Yeah, so Lightfoot had an interesting week as well. But you know what? She's always going to get criticism because she's not that good of a mayor. These Chicago mayors are tricky. You know, we have the Rom, her, uh, Daly. I think Daly's the only one that knew how to navigate the machine that his father created so that's how he was able to get away squeaky clean and actually operate things but he just didn't know how to operate things entirely The when the death rate increased especially from neighborhoods like Inglewood he didn't know what to do uh, I think we need George Washington <laughs> George Washington <laughs> Harold Washington I think we need Harold Washington back over here <laughs> that was one of the best mayors of Chicago he got elected in the 80s, first black mayor the city had, and he actually did a great job. You guys probably heard about this, uh, the Colorado city mayor who had to resign uh, regarding a controversial post on Facebook, which he said that it's not the local government's responsibility to support residents in the wake of catastrophic weather and power outages this week and understand that people are out of food, they don't have any heat, and they're dying. 
and he was saying it's not their responsibility. And he, there's some quotes in there where it was going to say, um, there's some hurt feelings. And they just proceeded to just chastise, quote, lazy people looking for a damn handout. And also, quote, no one owes you, no one owes you are your family anything, nor is it the local government's responsibility to support you during times like this. Which makes no sense because it's a mayor and that's actually your job. When you pay taxes, you're paying taxes for the government to support you and the city for times like this. This is when the money you gave them go back to these things. Instead, what, we have to now raise money for it? So I have to pay taxes at the same time, donate money to food banks because you guys aren't doing your job. So also he ended this quote with uh, only the strong will survive and the weak will perish that's the freaking mayor saying this about his own people that the weak will perish only the strong will survive like what type of sick man is this <laughs> so um basically uh he resigned his name is tim boyd by the way so yeah tim boyd resigned everyone saw that and just called him out on it like there's never any time for that to be not even necessary, but called for or justified at any time. That's such unjustified was talk he has. And it's a good thing he's out of there. But yeah, like seriously, what that type of mayor during the middle of a crisis starts talking trash about his constituents in that crisis, sitting there saying like, well, you know, you guys should just pull yourself up and you guys rely on yourselves to get through here. Well, he's probably seeing an uncomfortable home he has somewhere outside of Texas. Or he's just paying good money, just try to keep as much uh, electricity on and food going to him because he's sitting comfy. Like, understand that Texas isn't even on the national power grid. The country has three. There's the West, there's the East, and then Texas is a third, and they're on their own. And that's how all this went down. Their power grid could have gotten worse, so they had shut it down, led almost the whole state out of power, and... Now, here they are just suffering, seriously. And this is a governor that was talking about seceding the state like a few months ago because he doesn't recognize Biden as president. So he wanted to secede the state and run on their own. And now after this happened, he's actually turned to the White House, uh, the executive branch, asking for financial and federal help. I mean, there you go. Like, seriously, I think only one state can actually secede from the nation and probably survive on its own that's california at the same time we rely a lot of money from california tax wise but at the same time california has a lot of disasters so they rely on the federal aid of the government to help them out with that the mudslides and the fires and everything so it's a two-way street and the same thing should be happening with texas too uh, biden actually sent in aid and support over there to help them out because you know what that's what presidents do they help out the states that need support from failing and falling there are people out there suffering and dying this isn't a political thing people are held accountable to take care of those that they have elected that they hired to do that's literally what we're doing we're hiring these people to literally to support our cities states and the country for us that's what we're doing here they're representing us now ted cruz i don't know what he was thinking because that dude straight up just left. He was trying to flee to Cancun with his city when all this was happening, where the struggling was going down and everything. A nine-year-old boy actually 
froze to death is well, trying sleeping in his bed. And he froze to death. But, you know, times like this, that's when you guys need guys like Ted Cruz just to get on a plane and fly out with his family. Well, if you hate Ted Cruz, this is a pretty fun week. <laughs> and if you like Ted Cruz, then you're Ted Cruz. <laughs> Senator Cruz, whose face is slowly being reclaimed by nature, said that his decision to go on a family vacation to Cancun during Texas's weather emergency was obviously a mistake, as was the tattoo he got there. <laughs> Cruz initially released a statement saying he only went on vacation because his daughters made him go. And if you think it was bad to throw his daughters under the bus, Cruz would like you to know that that statement was his wife's idea. <laughs> also, I just love that after he abandoned Texas, he came back in a Texas flag mask like nothing happened. That's like Jared and Ivanka walking down Fifth Avenue in I Love New York shirts. <laughs> Cruz would have returned from Mexico even sooner, but it took him like 40 minutes to get out of a hammock. And, you know, he got called out on it. People saw him at the, on the plane, and everybody just realized that was him. Cameras came up and everything. He was getting dogged out all the way over there. I hope that was an uncomfortable ride for him. I really hope that was an uncomfortable ride, ride all the way there. And he came back with some swarmy excuse, saying that he was trying to work remotely, but realized that was in a too good of an idea, so he decided to come back. Like, dude, no, you keep your ass here in this city. You just keep freezing yourself like everybody else. You go out there, you try to get food for everybody who doesn't have any food all over your state, because that's what you are. You're the senator. You just don't represent Congress. You don't just represent Texas and Congress. You take care of the people that put you in office. That's what you should do. For crying out loud, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. So she raised almost $5 million in a matter of like three days. And she's used that money to help support food banks and water delivery drives and these warming shelters. And she's working with local representatives of Texas as well, too. So this is a press conference that they had yesterday. Representative Garcia, thank you so much, Representative Jackson Lee, for welcoming us here to your district. You know, when disaster strikes, this is not just an issue for Texans. This is an issue for our entire country. And our whole country needs to come and rally together behind the needs of Texans all across the state. And you know, as was mentioned earlier, disasters don't strike everyone equally. When you already have so many families in the state and across the country that are on the brink, that can't even afford an emergency to begin with, when you have a disaster like this, it can just set people back for years, not just for days. And so we have tragedy in this state. We need to rally around the state. We need to rally federal support for Texans and the state of Texas. And we need to make sure that we make short and long-term policy decisions so that this kind of devastation, preventable devastation, never happens again. And so I'm incredibly excited. You know, I think that uh, as, as Representative Garcia mentioned, we hit $3.2 million in assistance for Texans across the state just last night. And I think this shows that New York stands with you, but the whole country stands with you. Uh, first off, it was on Thursday she raised $1 million, and then the next day the fundraising hit $2 million. She made it down to the state on Friday, and she was working with food banks over there just trying to get as much out as they can. She was putting up uh, posts about 
getting volunteers that they needed more volunteers. But you know what? It's not just on her. I want to give props out to other representatives. Sylvia Garcia, Sheila Jackson, Al Green, uh, Beto O'Rourke. A lot of people just went out there and they raised money as well. They've been helping out food banks, distributing water as well, and just trying to make sure everyone is taken care of. Now, regarding the power system that they're using, they're not just setting, they didn't just set up this isolated power grid from the countries just because like, oh, we want nothing to do with them. That's one aspect of it. One reason why they didn't want to do that is because that they are actually dodging federal regulations. They've been dodging those for years. Um, for example, um, Richard D. Kude, I hope I got that name right, wrote in 1995 when Texas set up their, indep- their independent power grid that by eschewing transmission across state lines, the Texas utilities retained freedom. This policy of isolation avoided regulation by a newly created Federal Power Commission, whose jurisdiction was limited to utilities operating in interstate commerce. And they just want to be an independent group, avoiding regulations. And we see how that is just a mess now because it fell off so bad. And keep in mind, the uh, Republican Texan leaders were constantly, such as last year, they touted California over the Democratic-led states rolling blackouts. And I don't think this should be a Democratic and Republican issue here. Like, even though this is really Republicans running it and everything, but really, this is just an issue of just terrible failure. I mean, just the fact that they were really trying to isolate themselves and seeing how far they could roll with it. You know, it's not just that. This is actually an example of why everyone relies on the federal government for backups for things. So, I mean, governor, the, the governor, Greg Abbott, called this whole thing un, unacceptable as much as he wants, but he's part of the reason why this went down because he knew how the power grid was and he thought something like that was reliable. And, well, hey, here we are. So now uh, the brothers... Uh, Julian Castro and Joaquin Castro, uh, one's representative of Texas, that's Joaquin, and Julian Castro, he was uh, part of the Housing Urban Development um, Department for uh, the cabinet for Obama's uh, administration. They're calling for federal investigation regarding these power grids and how this failure went down, which is something worth thinking about and seeing because... This everyone says this is entirely, this was avoidable. It really was, and the fact that it actually happened is just a mess. It's more than a mistake. It's just a mess. So, all I can say is, is hopefully the leadership in Texas changes, and that actually preventable measures will be put in place. I mean, I hate to say this, but you know, I mean, look at what happened with Chernobyl. Their regulations, and then that went down. Yeah, it's the worst way possible. And they're like, oh, hey, maybe maybe, maybe we screwed up there. Um, these are people's lives here you guys are gambling with. And not just that, the people in high up, what are they doing? They're trying to leave the state. Ted Cruz left. There's a representative that actually successfully got away. He went to Florida. 
Gary Gray, I believe is his name. He's a representative of uh, Texas. He went to Florida. I mean, as that's what they're going to always play with fire. And then when the fire gets too big, they'll just drop it in your house and walk out and say, yeah, man, those matches were no good. And the hearing for Robin Hood, Reddit, and their hedge fund Citadel went down uh, this week on Thursday. And... Um, a little bit of uh, Dog and Pony show. There was some pretty good questions in there as well. But a lot of it, first off, uh, Roaring Kitty of Reddit. <laughs> he was there. Um, he, he was representing, actually, Wall Street bets mostly. And then there was the uh, CEO of Robinhood, uh, Vlad Tenev. And then there was the owner, the CEO of Citadel. The hedge fund that's actually funding Robinhood, and there was a lot of questions, mostly regarding Robinhood, because um, Vlad kept saying that um, what they did first off that they don't serve any overlords or they don't answer any hedge funds. All the decisions that they did, even though they came, it was legit, was just regarding their company alone, and that they're forced to stop certain trading because. It's business partners, the clearinghouses, that uh, perform certain trades on Robinhood's behalf. Uh, they uh, significantly increase requirements for the amount of money Robinhood had to park with them as collateral. But uh, there's answers in there that Vlad just wouldn't answer, couldn't answer. And one thing, too, is uh, he actually had much information. It just seemed to hedge by stating that the firm's asset under management number is not one that Rabbit has publicly shared. Um, some of them were, uh, some um, representatives uh, were open to hearing Vlad and were thinking that, oh man, you know, just people on forums on the internet are manipulating the market and all that. But then you had other representatives who were actually very direct at them and telling them that uh, they don't deserve the right to like make up their own rules as they go along and, not to blame the customers for everything, um, for basically for, for being treated unfairly, which they were just doing. But one cool thing that stood out, I'll play an excerpt of this, was Representative uh, Sean Caston of Illinois. He actually called in a Robin Hood's helpline and let everyone listen how helpful their support is. June 2020. Um, Alex Kearns, who was 20 years old at the time, uh, from Naperville, Illinois, killed himself, largely thanks to a, a, a bug in the Robinhood system. The bug was that he turned on the app, said he owed $730,000 that he did not have because of options positions that he thought canceled out but didn't appear to. He called the helpline. The helpline, of course, was not manned, as we've discussed. Um, he sent several panicked emails, three to be precise, did not receive a response. Ultimately, there was a response from the email saying that, in fact, his positions were covered, but by that point, it was too late because he had taken his own life. The, this is a gentleman who was 20 years old. Under Illinois law, he was not allowed to buy a beer, but he was allowed to take on $730,000 in, in positions and exposure that he did not have the liquidity to cover. Now, your mission, Mr. Tenev, is to democratize finance, but the history of financial regulation is to protect people like Alex Kearns um, from the system. As the old joke goes, if you're playing poker and you can't see, figure out who the fish is at the table, um, 
you should leave the table because you're probably the fish. And there is an innate tension in your business model between democratizing finance, which is a noble calling, and being a conduit to feed fish to sharks. So I'm nervous, I think I've got an exposure, and I call your helpline now. Let's call and let's listen in the time we have remaining to what I'm going to hear on the other end of the phone. Thanks for calling Robinhood. Please visit us at Robinhood.com or on our app for support. If you have an urgent greeting need, please make sure to include details of your order when reaching out. Thanks and have a great day. I remember them when that happened. And yeah, he was from Naperville and uh yeah, he actually jumped in front of a train in the morning when he found out that he owed like seven hundred thirty thousand dollars, which he didn't, uh, to Robin Hood. And he honestly like the representative said, he reached out for support, for help. Just to see if he could, could get anything straightened out and everything. He wasn't getting anything and he thought he was so in debt that yeah he actually he jumped in front of the train it was pretty messed up but um that was a very powerful open and closing that mr caston had there and that was something that was worth hearing too because you know something like robin hood just should actually be able to long story short they don't care about their investors. They don't care about these casual traders who download the app and just buy into a stock uh, however they want. And that's exactly it. Like they actually do not care about their customers at all in that base. And specifically, their customers are actually the hedge funds that's giving them the big money there. You know, and honestly, you can see that they haven't tried to correct anything after um what happened with uh, alex kearns uh just those years ago out there in naperville they haven't done anything to actually try to fix up their support or a way to contact people quicker and we see now that like when people are actually making money and it's costing hedge funds money that Robinhood will throw you under the bus uh not literally but shoot they sort of did that with alex it was very messed up and uh yeah um I don't think that uh, these hearings that they held will probably get anywhere. Uh, we need the the FCC to actually get involved and to put some strong regulations on them. But we've seen this so many times. They they won't. You know, I can't even say they probably won't. They just won't. Um, the best thing that happened is for these Wall Street betters to just buy the time, plan on what else they could do. Um, see what the stock that they can inflate and see um, if they can take down any more hedge funds with it. Use apps outside of Robinhood, hopefully, <laughs> and see what they can do with it. Um, yeah, yeah. More power to the bets, though. But, um, yeah, that was that was, that was was the weekend, the news and politics and everything. And, uh, yeah, guys, if you enjoyed what you heard, uh, go ahead, um, follow, like, subscribe, um, sign up to this podcast so you get future updates and everything every weekend there's gonna be a posted thing there for you so knock yourself out and i uh, hope you guys enjoyed what you heard and uh yeah be excellent to each other and party on dudes.